So we, uh, we're studying First Thessalonians. If you're uh, just now picking up with us, those uh, sermons are available on our website. They're also available through the Church Center app uh, to catch up. But we've been talking through this, this letter that Paul wrote to what is arguably his favorite church in the New Testament. Uh, of all the letters that Paul wrote, this letter wasn't written out of anger, wasn't written out of frustration, wasn't written uh, because a certain issue had been ar- had arisen in the church. Paul writes this letter completely out of heartfelt gratitude and appreciation for the people in Thessalonica. And so we get a little bit of a different perspective. And what I've tried to do is, is I've asked God to give me one word to sort of focus on for each of these chapters. In the first week, it was underestimate, right? There are things that, that we can underestimate. And Paul reminds us in his writing, there are, there are aspects of what God does that we should never underestimate. And then last week, we talked about priorities, right? To, to make an impact, to make a difference for God, we've got to keep the main thing the main thing, right? There are priorities that Paul addressed in chapter 2. This week, we're going we're gonna to talk about the word correlation, right? Everybody say it with me. Correlation. Did anybody say anything? There you go. I couldn't tell, right? Correlation. Right? The definition of the word correlation is a mutual relationship or connection between two things. Right? Correlation. Here's a funny one. I got a graph for you. Right? Check this out. Here's a correlation between the amount of ice cream sold and murder increase. They sort of go together. Do you see that? It's supposed to be funny, church. Okay? It wasn't funny. I'll give that to Joe to use on the weekend, right? But there's all kinds of funny, funny correlations, right? So husbands and wives, right? Husbands and wives in here online, anybody ever fight, right? Listen, I don't know if you know this or not, but there's a correlation between an argument between a husband and a wife and how stupid the husband is. Did you know this? I've got, I've, yes, right. I've, I've got a couple, I've got a couple stories to just prove the point. Check this out. Right? Husband. The last fight was my fault, he said, because when my son asked me about my wife and his mom, I said, you know, I married Miss Wright. And the son said, no, I didn't. He goes, I just didn't know her first name was always. Right? Correlation between, right, stupid husband and a fight. How about this one? My son asked me, right, what, what, how would you describe marriage? And the dad, who said the last fight was my fault, said, I described to my son that it's about a three ring surf- circus, right? It's an engagement ring, a wedding ring, and suffering. <laughs> right? See the correlation between the two, right? The last fault fight was my fault, the husband said, because my wife asked me, what's on the TV? And I said, dust. Okay, so, okay, so that one's too much. Is that, that, okay, that's the line. Fair enough, fair enough. How, how about, how about this one, right? 
The last fight was my fault, the husband said, because my son asked me, is it true, Dad? I heard that in some parts of Africa, a man doesn't know his wife until he marries her. I said to him, that happens in every country, son. You see the correlation, right? That one's not too far, right? That's funny. How about this one? The last fight was my fault because I said to my son, the most effective way to remember your wife's birthday is to forget it once. And some of you are like, man, I need to, some of you are like, that's good advice, right? How about this one? The last fight was my fight was my fault because my wife overheard this conversation between me and my friend. My friend said, my wife's an angel. My, my reply was, you're lucky. Mine's still alive. Oh, okay. Too far. All right. All right. Two more, right? The last fault fight was my fault, right? Because I gave some advice to a friend that my wife overheard. And I said to him, if you want your wife to listen and pay undivided attention to every word you say, talk in your sleep. <laughs> Can I get an amen, ladies? <laughs> and the last one, see if there's a correlation. The last fight was my fault, the husband said. Because I was telling this story that there was a man who said, I never knew what real happiness was until I got married. And by then, it was too late. Right. Correlation. Right? And listen, if you want a copy of that, I'll just send it to you, right? Right? But things that are, are, are in a mutual relationship and a mutual connection. And... At the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3 and throughout the chapter, Paul gives us what I think are three correlations in this text. Now, the text is a little bit long, so we're not going to just, we're not going to stand and read it all together. We'll read it as we go through it. But here's the first correlation. And again, always you version, Bible app, click on the three dots. It says events. Click on Tomoka, the notes for the weekend, the notes for uh, Tuesday when we get back on October the 5th, and the notes for Wednesday are always available there. Here's the first one. The first correlation that Paul points out is there's a correlation between Satan's efforts and what we really should measure, right? Satan's efforts and what we should measure. Here's what Paul says. First Thessalonians, the end of two. But brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time, in person, not in thought. So Paul was at Thessalonica, planted the church. There was a lot of persecution. Paul left to go to Berea. When he was in Berea, the Jews from Thessalonica heard. They showed up there. Eventually, Paul was taken away and ended up in Athens to get away from the persecution. So he was taken abruptly from these people that he loved. He says, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again. Read this with me, everybody online, everybody here. But Satan stopped us, right? He goes on to say, for what is our hope, our joy? This is Paul. What is our hope, our joy? Not my joy, my hope, but our hope and our joy are the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes. Read it with me. Is it not you? Is it not you? Listen, part of the struggle for any Christian, and especially for the corporate church, is what in the world are we supposed to measure? Right? What do we measure? 
I've got a buddy who started his first ministry. He's 52. He spent 17 years running from God's call and eventually God won out. And so he started his first ministry. He has spent a lot of time being discouraged because he still measures weekend attendance as to whether he's being effective or not. Listen, you know what? Joe said it in here. We've read it. Joe and I've read it. The average Christian attends church 1.7 times a month. Right? So guess what? There are weekends we're going to have 4,000 people between online and in person. And there's weekends we're going to have 3,000. And here's what we've learned at Tomoka. When the race shows up in town, some of you don't come. Correlation? Maybe. Right? Bike week happens twice a year around here. When bike week shows up, guess what? Some of you don't come. Right? Listen, when Labor Day happens, some of you don't come. Listen, when we get into measuring the wrong thing, we can get into trouble. Right? I, I've, I've said this before, jokingly, but internally I'm crying, right? I, I, I struggle sometimes trying to keep my weight in check, right? Because I like sugar. Anybody? Like, I like sugar, right? I, as a matter of fact, there's a box, an empty box of Twinkies sitting on my counter right now. Do you want to know the, just, just aside, but do you know the greatest thing I found in the world? Air fry that Twinkie for two minutes. Oh, thank you, Jesus. That's thing. That is, that's, don't deep fry it, air fry it. It is, anyway, right? So I've been doing keto. Whatever, you know, it's just my, my, my thing, right? I tried it. I hated it because I didn't understand it, right? Certain amount of carbs, certain amount of fat, certain amount of protein. I ain't got time for that, right? The pandemic hit. I found TikTok. Just so much better than YouTube, okay? And here's what I learned from TikTok. I learned how to do keto because stupid people like me were figuring it out. And then they were sending videos of what they ate. To lose weight. And so I learned how to do keto through watching TikTok. And here's what I've learned about keto, right? There's a certain amount of carbs that you don't want to take it. And listen, when I was 23 and burning carbs, like just getting up, you didn't need keto, right? You just needed carbs. But when you're 57 and your metabolism packed up and left, right? You can't afford to eat all the carbs because you just don't have the energy or the time or space to burn all of that stuff. So keto is about depriving yourself of some of those carbs, right? And making your body consume enough protein, right? That you have energy and then eventually your body will burn the fat. It's a great system, right? But you got to learn how to do it right because otherwise it's just stupid. But here's what I've learned about keto. I can go, I can go a whole... Listen, I can go a day and not even consume a car. But I can also eat 4,000 calories. And it won't matter how many carbs I took in. If I don't measure my calories, keto doesn't work. You get me? Right? But here's the thing. I only measure both of those because I really want to measure the thing that matters. And you know what matters to me? Is that I never, ever have to put on my size 44 pants again, right? Like, here's what I measure about weight loss. I get up, I put on a shirt, and I go, crud, that is still too stinking tight, right? 
because I want to measure how I feel and look in a mirror regarding the clothes I wear. Yes, I measure calories and yes, I pay attention to cars, but because I measure the thing that matters. I don't want to come out here wearing a tent, right? I, I've got that pair of 44 pants in the bottom of my drawer just to remind me of what it can look like if I don't pay attention to what matters. And it's not calories, it's not carbs, it's that, right? Calories and carbs are necessary. Here's the thing about being a Christian. What are you supposed to measure? What are you supposed to pay attention to? Here's the thing I love about Tomoka is that we measure the only thing that matters all the time. And that is, are we reaching people who are far from Christ? That's it, right? Paul says, what is our hope? What is our glory? What is our crown if it is not you in the Lord Jesus Christ? That's why we say our mission is to make it hard for people to go to hell from our generation. Because that's all we want to do. Now, do we measure lots of other things? Absolutely. We measure those in relationship to how we're doing in regard to the real focus. And here's what Paul says. When you measure the thing that matters the most, Satan's going to show up. Listen to these verses. First, look, listen to Luke 15. I'm going to read a couple verses, a few verses here. The parable of, of the lost pearl, right? The parable of the lost coin and the parable of the lost son. Jesus told them this parable. This is uh, Luke uh, 15, 3 through 7. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep. Oh, I said coin, right? Uh, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country to go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Okay, st- keep that right there. All right, you, you see what's happened? How many sheep did he start with? No, no, no. How many sheep did he start with? Everybody say 100. Listen, you got to keep that number in mind. How many sheep did he start with? 100. How many did he lose? And that left him how many? 99. So what do you think he's going to do? The Bible says, does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Why? Because the most important number that God's measuring is what? 100. Right? Why? Listen, if I got 99 pennies in my pocket and I lose one of them, do you think I'm going to scour the ground for that one penny? Not unless 100 matters to me. Because if somebody gives me 100 pennies and says, you better bring me 100 pennies back. If I lose one, what do you think I'm going to do? I'm going to go find that penny. If I don't have to account for 100 pennies, I'm not going to care about that one penny. The only reason that one matters is because the number that God's measuring is, we started with 100 and we can't afford to lose how many? None. We talk about this parable when we focus on the one sheep. Is the one sheep important? Yeah, because we went to find him. But why is the one sheep important? Because God cares about 100. You know how many people God cares about? Second Peter chapter 3 says, God wishes how many to perish? None. Everybody say none. But for all, everybody say all. All to come to repentance. So you know what you want number God's measuring right now? 7.3 billion. Do you know how many people we measure that way? We say things like, ah, it's fine. Right? They're never going to turn to Jesus. I'm not wasting my time on them. Right? You can say that when you don't care about 7.3 billion people. But when you care about all, you can't afford to lose none. 
So he says, next verse, and when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and his neighbors together. And here's what he says. Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. Why? Because now I no longer have 99. I have how many? And that's the number that matters because God cares about all, right? Not willing to lose any. Rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. Listen to this. You want to know why Satan's here? I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over what? 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Man, it's great to measure church attendance, right? It's great to know that 3,000 of you will participate this weekend. But you know what really gets God going is when one sinner repents. Why? Because God cares about all. Listen to what he says in Luke 15, 10. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then this is the story of the lost son and the father speaking to his son. But the father said to his servants, quick, because the son said, I'm not worthy to be your son. Here's what the father's response was to that. Quick, bring the best robe and put it on my son. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Identify him as my son. Bring the fattened calf and kill it and let's have a feast and celebrate. Why? For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Right? Listen, you want to know why one matters? Because to God, all matters. Does everybody get that? Like, listen, the focal of one is because it's in correlation with how many God wants saved. God wants them all saved. He wants them all to come home. He doesn't want any to perish. So do we celebrate one? Yes or no? Yes. Do we celebrate 10? Yes or no? But do we celebrate zero? No. Because we've got to measure what matters. And so listen to what he says in Luke 8. Look at this, the parable of sower. Luke 8, 11 and 12. This is the meaning of the parable, right? The sower went out to sow. Some seeds fell on the hard ground. The seed, right, is the word of God. Those along the path are the people who hear the word of God. And then the who? The devil comes and he takes away the word from their hearts. Why? So that they may not believe and be what? Saved. Listen, you want to you engage in spiritual battle. Listen, we give... You know, I thought about just preaching one point tonight because I could lose my mind in this point. Like, we, we give Satan so much credit for stuff he has nothing to do with. Listen, I don't know if you know this or not, but the Bible makes it clear that your flesh is, is corrupt and evil and wants nothing to do but wrong stuff all the time. Can somebody say amen? Right? The works of the, the, works of the flesh are evident. And you and I are tempted when we get carried away by our own desires. Somebody say, amen. Listen, that ain't the devil. Don't be giving the devil credit for the fact that your flesh is corrupt and rotten. The devil doesn't have to deal with you when it comes to you struggling with the sins of the flesh. That's not a spiritual fight. You want to engage in a spiritual fight? Get focused on the mission. Start trying to see people come to Jesus. Because every time you preach the word or show the word to people who are far from God, you're in a spiritual fight. Because the Satan has no interest in you hearing the word and believing and be saved. Because he's trying to be God. And the only way to be God is to have people follow you. 
And if he loses people to follow God because they believed in Jesus, he's going to put up a fight. And maybe you didn't do well yesterday. Maybe you struggled with drinking or maybe you struggled with your mouth or maybe you struggled with your your mind. Maybe you struggled in your anger. Guess what? That's a flesh problem. And the Bible says there's only one way to deal with your flesh. Paul says, I get up every morning and I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. That's just a fight you're going to have to have every day because you got a bad roommate. But you want a spiritual fight? Start focusing on what matters because there's a correlation between measuring what matters and Satan's activity. Right? How about this one? Titus chapter 3 verses 9 through 11. Avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law. Right? Stop fighting about dumb things. Right? Because these are what? Everybody read it with me. Listen, here's the thing. Most of you, if you practice this, would just take your Facebook down. Right? You just take your Facebook down because it's unprofitable and it's useless. Right? But he goes on to say this. Warn a divisive person once and warn him a second time and after that have nothing to do with him. Right? Listen, Satan's, you can, you may be sure that such a man is, read it with me, warped and sinful. He's self-condemned. Listen, there's only one thing that Satan cares about and that's keeping you and I separated from the true mission that God has for his church. Right? Because the word blocked in the Greek there means to cut off. Right? To cut in half. As a matter of fact, the, the, the writers who used the Greek language took that word, right? Which comes from the Greek word kopto, which means to cut. And they took that word and they made it, they made it mean mourning or grief. And the implication was, or the inference was, that the cut is so severe and so painful, the only way to deal with it is to grieve. That's Satan's activity. He's trying to block us or cut us off from the real mission. Because there's a correlation between the efforts and the work of Satan and focusing on the mission. You want to know why Tomoka Christian Church spends a lot of time under spiritual attack? It's not because you struggled with your anger yesterday. It's not because you were a handful at the last church service. It wasn't because you didn't get along with your wife yesterday. It's not because of whatever. Those are flesh problems, right? Those are fights that you've got to have to have. The reason this church is under spiritual attack is because we spend every waking minute talking about who we can reach next, where we can put the gospel. And if you want to know why you're under spiritual attack, it might be because you've decided to get in on the conversation and be a part of the front line. It's just going to happen, man, because there's a correlation between those two. Here's what Jesus said. John 17, here's his prayer as he's preparing to be crucified. He says, my prayer is not just for the disciples, the men right in front of me. He said, my prayer for also for those who will believe in me through their message. How many of you have believed in Jesus because of the word of God that you were spoken? Can I see your hands? So guess what? He's talking to you. To those of you online that raised your hand, he's talking to you. So he says this, I pray that all of them may be what? Just one. Just one, not two, not four, but one. Father, why? Just as you're in me and I'm in you. Why? That they may also be in us. Why? Unified. Why? So that the world, everybody read it with me, may believe. I mean, look at the power of all of us being focused on the right thing. You see, some of you know people and they just don't give any credibility to the word of God. Why aren't they believing your message? Well, maybe because there's 350,000 different churches in North America. 
You want to know why, how, how to make a message complicated? Anybody in here parent a kid, to, uh, co-parent a kid, husbands, wives, moms, dad, raise your hand. Anybody? Okay, let me start over. How many of you have children? Thank you. Right? How many of you raising a child have disagreed on how to punish, discipline, raise a kid? And how many of you have ever done that in front of your kid? Right? You think the kid's confused by the mixed message? You want to know how to be effective as a parent? Be one. You want to know how to make the gospel effective? Stay one. And you want to know what you build it around? You don't build it around, we like certain kinds of music. And you don't build it around that, that, that we're a woke church or that we're a political church or that we're a, a King James version only church. You build it around one thing. You build it around reaching people for Jesus. Amen. That's what you build the church around, right? Verse, verse 23, he ends it up by saying this, I and them and you and me, may they be brought to complete unity. Why? To let the world know that you sent me. I mean, man, the world needs to know that Jesus came for them. Amen. Right. And, and have loved them even as you have loved me. I mean, how many people in the world today need to, needs to know that Jesus came for them and that he loves them unconditionally. You know, anybody like that? Listen, you want to make that message effective? Let's be unified. And stop being unified over silly things. Right? I don't like... Listen, Joe's one of my dearest friends. But I don't like serving with a guy that likes the St. Louis Cardinals. Right? I don't like it at all. I think there's something just fundamentally wrong with him. Okay? I just do. Right? I don't like the fact that one of my dearest friends in this church is a Green Bay Packer fan. I, I just... I just... Sorry, is that too far? Okay, now let's move on. All right, correlation between those two things, right? The work of Satan and measuring what matters. How about this one? Trials in our faith, right? There's a correlation between trials and our faith. Listen to Titus 3, 1 through 5. (coughs) Paul writes these words in, in in the third chapter of Titus. He says, so when we couldn't stand it any longer, he's in Athens, dying. Dying because he wants to know how the church is doing. And he said, so we could stand no longer. Bring that back up. I'm sorry. We thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. So we sent Timothy, who's our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ. To strengthen and encourage you in your faith. So that no one would be unsettled by these what? Trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. Why? Because I was afraid that in some way the tempter, read Satan, might have tempted you and our efforts might have been in vain. Right? Produce nothing. Listen, there is a correlation in scripture between our faith and trials. Let me, let me show it to you. Let's talk about the power of our faith. Just listen to these verses. I'm just going to read them back to back to back, right? Ephesians 2, 8, 9. You can read along with me. It's by grace, you've been saved through. You get that? You've been saved by what? But you access grace by what? Man, is your faith important? Yes or no? You bet it is. Next one. How about a Romans chapter 3, 21 and 22? 
But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements law. How many of you are grateful that God made it possible for you and him to be in a right relationship and you don't have to be perfect? Anybody here grateful for that? Right? Listen, here's what he says. As was promised in the writing of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are, everybody read this with me. Everybody online, read it with me. If you're driving, say it out loud. We are made right with God. Is faith important? Man, it saves you. It puts you in a right relationship with God. How about this one? Romans 10, 8 through 10. But what does it say? The word's near you. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart. He says, that is the word of faith that we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and read it with me, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, is your faith important? Absolutely. How about this one? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. For it is, for, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. Listen, is your faith important? Listen, you have got nothing from God through Jesus without faith. Is it a gift? Yes, you didn't earn it. You didn't buy your way into it. You didn't stumble across it because you're a great person, right? You got faith and, or you got salvation because God gave it as a gift through the offering of his son. Somebody say amen. amen. But how do you access it? How do you make it yours? Faith, 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 faith alone, Faith alone, as Martin Luther said, it is faith alone that puts you in right standing with God by accepting Jesus Christ. Now, if you're the enemy and you want to be God and these people are following God by putting their faith in it, where do you think Satan is going to attack? Your what? Man, listen, there is a direct correlation between your faith and trials. Listen to what he says. Listen to what the Bible says is the priority of trials. You, some of you have read this verse and you hate it. I, I didn't like it for years. Consider it pure. What? Now, when you read that word, don't read the word happiness. Okay. Listen, if you're going through a trial and people think you should smile all the time, you need better friends. Right? Listen, I know you love Jesus, but don't say those things to people who are suffering. Man, it's a trial. You should consider it all joy. There's a huge difference between having joy in my heart and having a smile on my face. Right? Sometimes it's not easy to be happy about what you're going through. Right? But you consider it joy. Right? My brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Why? Because you know that what's happening is your faith is being tested. And that faith develops perseverance, right? The ability to, to hold up underneath the weight. And perseverance has got to be present and it's got to finish. Why? So that you may be mature, complete, and lack nothing. Listen, there is a correlation between faith and trials. And guess what? God is in the business of testing our faith by what? By trials. Man, that's... That's a tough correlation, is it not? Like, listen, the most difficult thing about a trial for me is, and this is something I've just had to learn, right? The most difficult thing is I measure a, I measure a trial by the, faith, by the favorable circumstances, right? My faith is generally bolstered when God comes through. Yeah, you're never going to guess what God did, man. It was awesome, right? I needed this and I prayed and God gave me that. How many of you like that equation, right? 
But how about this? Your faith brings you a trial because God knows you need more perseverance. And maybe the outcome won't be well. Maybe the trial won't make a favorable result. Are you willing to consider that joy in exchange for perseverance? Because perseverance, when it actually completes its work, makes you mature and complete and you like nothing as a Christian? Man, there's a powerful correlation between faith and trials. And then, real quickly, there's a correlation between faith and love. There's some verses in the notes. I just want to read 1 John 3, 11 and 14. And listen to what John writes about the correlation between faith and love. Paul sa- or John says, this is the message you've heard from the beginning. Everybody read it. It has nothing to do with how you feel. This isn't a word about feeling. It's the word agape. You and I should practice sacrificial love for who? One another, right? We know, listen to this, we know that we've passed from death to life, meaning we, we, we've gone from being lost to found, unsaved to saved. Everybody got that? How? Because we what? You, you want to know a real test of whether you're a Christian? Ask yourself this. Do I practice sacrificial love? Do I practice sacrificial love to the people around me that God puts in my path? You see, that's a much greater evidence of your faith than your struggle with sin. Guess what? How many of you in here and how many of you online struggle with sin? Only half of you? Let's, let's try this again, right? This isn't, listen, this isn't the weekend where your friends are visiting for the first time and watching you, right? This is family. How many of you in here and online struggle with sin? Thank you. Aren't you, aren't you grateful Aren't you grateful that God doesn't measure your Christianity simply based on your struggle and success with sin? Man, I am. But you know what God does measure? He measures whether or not your faith, being passed from death to life, actually practices love to one another. You want to know how you've passed from death to life? I know I didn't struggle at all this week. I didn't say one curse word, right? I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't have one bad thought. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. And listen, do not interpret what I'm saying as freedom to do that stuff. If you do, you're missing the point. You need to listen to Pastor Joe. But we just got to measure the right thing. And that is this, we know the evidence of our life that gets passed from death to life is that we love one another. And then the Bible goes on, John goes on to say, let me show you what love is. Jesus laid down his life. Because you know what love does? Love doesn't always lay down their life, but you know what love does? Love considers others more important than itself. You want to fix your marriage? Treat your spouse more important than you. And stop whining about it. Right? You want to make your, you want to make your home better? Start treating your kids more important than yourself. Right? You want to make your neighborhood better? Start treating your neighbors better than yourself. You want to make the country better? Start treating others more important than yourself and stop whining about it. Listen, the reality is that when love appears, the Bible, John says that love is so powerful that when you express love to people, a God who they've never seen, they'll believe in. Because anybody who has seen a Christian love the way Jesus loves has seen God. Nobody drives me to this church and goes, oh man, those people are so godly. The problem is most of the people who drive by know who's in here. 
And they work with you. They've been in line with you at McDonald's, right? They stood with you in the DMV. They've seen you at the soccer field screaming like a crazy person and cussing at the referee. Aren't you grateful that your Christianity isn't based on those failures? But your Christianity certainly is measured by whether or not your faith produces love. And here's the way Paul says it to wrap it up. Galatians chapter 5. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Aren't you grateful you're not under bondage to law? Come on, man. These are the only people that care about being free from law. Anybody else? Aren't you, aren't you grateful, right? Aren't you grateful to be free from the fact that God said, here's a hundred things you got to do and you got to do all these things right every single day. Anybody else glad that you don't have that burden, right? Absolutely. That's what we're set free from. We're set free from that bondage of sin and death. Here's not hundred. I did 99. I got to pay. We're free from that. That's what Jesus came to take away from us. Now he says, stand firm. Right? Stand firm in that. Don't give that up. Don't let somebody take that from you. Right? And don't let yourselves be burdened again by yoke of slavery. Slavery to what? Slavery to that stupid equation. God expects perfection. And I wasn't perfect this week, so I'm not okay with God. You clearly don't understand the gospel. But listen to what he says. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision, neither circumcision or uncircumcision, the stupid stuff of the law, has any value. The only thing, everybody say only thing. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through. You want to make a difference, right? You want to make a difference. You want to make sure that there's a right correlation in the world today. Make sure that your faith correlates with your love. Because if your faith simply correlates or correlates to coming to worship and love and worship and love and Joe and love and the preaching, not enough. It will make a difference in the world. Make sure that your faith expresses itself in love. Right? My daughter, my, my youngest daughter, my last of five kids, has moved out and she's in college. Right? And the one thing that I have enjoyed about my kids going to college is, is I get to root for new teams all the time. So Harmony went to UCF and I became a huge Knights fan. Right? We won a national championship no matter what anybody else says. Right? We did. Right? Now, I'm a USF fan because my daughter, Kana, is a bull in Tampa. There's a direct correlation between her being there and me now becoming a Bulls fan. Right? Listen, there's got to be a correlation between who you are as a Christian and what that, how that gets expressed to the people around you. Make sure that your faith, make sure your faith expresses itself in love. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, you know, thank you for the writings of a man who was, who was burdened and, and anguished over his love and concern for fellow believers. That when we read the writings of Paul, we see a human who's in the middle of the fight, who fights the same things that we fight. I'm thankful that these writings, these letters have been preserved for our benefit for your glory. There are things in this world that are completely in correlation to each other. Some of them are silly and some of them make all the difference in the world. Father, help us not to miss the correlation between measuring the most important thing and Satan being unhappy about it. Help us not to miss the correlation between the trials we experience 
and the outcome upon our faith. And God, please make us a church that doesn't miss the correlation between growing in our faith and loving our neighbor. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, church.